I had to cut out me saying bad words in the last episode. Why? You keep doing that. Why? Many reasons. Well, we need well-seasoned language. I think I provide most of that. We've got to earn that that little e-box, right? True. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fam. Hell, and welcome to Circle Talk, a podcast for seekers, initiates, and the curious by four Alexandrian witches with endless opinions. We are your host. Hi, I'm G, a high priestess from the New England area of the U.S. Hi, I'm Josie, a high priestess near Melbourne, Australia. Hi, I'm Peter, a high priest from South Wales. And hi, I'm James, a high priest from just outside New Orleans, Louisiana. And we are a podcast where we talk about Alexandrian witchcraft and explore differing opinions on how the Alexandrian tradition is practiced in various covens around the globe. Listeners are reminded, while we are all initiates of the Alexandrian tradition, we only speak for ourselves and not the tradition as a whole, which is an impossible thing to do. This is episode 26. You may want to take a moment to pause this and go back and listen to our introductory episodes, episode zero, introductions, and episode one, definitions, or check them out after you enjoy this one. In this episode, we want to pick up where we left off in episode 24 by delving a little deeper into the group mind or coven egregore. And anything else that pops up during the course of our amazing uh, discussions. So before we dig into today's episodes on egregores, um, it occurs to us that a lot of people might not know what that means or have a clue what an egregore is. So bear with us. We're going to give you a definition up front. So an egregore is the residual and shared magical atmosphere of a working space. It makes up the combined will and visualization powers the practitioners who regularly work or worship there. Egregore builds up over time, and the residual energetic power from past magical working can be really beneficial as you set your sights on new ones. So what that really means is really simple. Um, all of us are connected to egregores, and knowing what an egregore is can empower us through understanding. So with that said, today we're going to talk about a little bit on set and settings why that is important coven mind and egregore all right so high five get on the broom and let's go witches all right before we get into egregore what about set and setting i think um from a from a set point of view when we talk about set we talk about mindset really and being in that correct headspace before ritual starts and before getting into whatever's going to happen that day or that night if if you're in the right mindset then that's going to lead to your magic and your witchcraft being much more effective compared to if you're going into circle and you're feeling a bit groggy or you're just not kind of feeling it. Um, with everybody working towards the same goal, it's important that you're all getting into it with the same mindset. And sometimes it's okay for you to be like, do you know what, guys, I'm here, I'm present, but I'm just not feeling it. So I'm just going to kind of be a little bit more on the peripheral than kind of in the thick of it, I think that's okay. I have known coven members who said that, and they've kind of, you know, chugged along, and and everything has gone great. And being able to kind of, what am I trying to say? Articulate that front instead of just going along with it, I think is really important. I think going back to our our previous conversation in the last 
uh, episode that this is a continuation of. Yes, mindset is important and your your set or setting is important. But I think overall, the way you compose your ritual and it being a ritual as opposed to just a ceremony, it, it repeating and having the same uh, parts and symbols and cues helps to shift your mental focus into that mindset. Um, so I just wanted to to help tie those together real quick. Yeah, that whole build-up of repeating the same patterns, getting ready the same way, setting the altar the same way, lighting the candles the same way, all adds that extra layer of getting into that correct, that, that, that right mindset. Polishing the brass the same way. Polishing the brass the same way, getting getting the brass all out, using that same little tidbit that, that you've been using since 2016 to shine that pentacle. Unless, of course, it's made of other material, like wood, and then just don't bother. You're never going to be able to shine that bad boy. I will... I will <laughs> excuse me. I will add to that. Um, I have had to... You get spoiled. And with my new housing center, or what my house was this, this last year, I've had to have my coven meetings during the day. And it really... Um, it's not my favorite to be doing circle during the daytime. Uh, I haven't had much of a choice, so it's fine. But I really, it feels very different in a lot of ways to be, have the sun up when I'm doing circle. I mean, on the other hand, from a logistics, from a logistics point of view, um, meeting during the day actually puts me in a much better mood because I'm not thinking about like everything I have to do the next day. It's a lot easier for me to be in the right mindset. But having the sent out while you're doing circle is quite different. So even that kind of setting, like what time of day is it? What time of year is it? Can you see outside? Are you in a basement? Are you on the second floor? Um, what kind of lighting do you have ahead of time? Did you have to prep? Like, did you have to move furniture? What part of your house is it? All of those different pieces really go into helping you hold the mindset. So if you're lucky enough to be able to meet at the appropriate hour, if you're lucky enough to have dedicated space, um, those kinds of things can be a real boon. Of course, not everybody has that. And that's that's where that mental work comes in. I think meeting at that correct time can sometimes be really difficult because sometimes like the equinox happens at like at 3 a.m. in the morning. I'm like, nope, I'm no, I'm not doing that. I'm not getting up at 3 a.m. and traveling, you know, miles and miles and miles. Um, but but I, I get what you're saying because the romanticized idea of witches doing witchcraft at night and in the dark i'm like yes that is that is a bit of me i love doing daytime ritual i love doing ritual full stop but i think i get much more of a kick out of it when it's like nighttime and and even even better when it's approaching the midnight hour the witching hour i'm like oh now i feel really witchy not like a pagan though. <laughs> yeah it's it's um there we're all beholden to practicalities right so like my High Priestess would always insist on doing our equinox as close to and after the equinox as possible because we do like a we do a coven rededication at that time. I'm like, that's just not like realistically, that's going to be very difficult for people to make happen. That's just not feasible. You know, some some of these things are really hard to make happen. It's it's a shame, but like the modern world really requires us to make some sacrifices of timing and hour and um day of the week when we can meet yeah meeting on the actual day of the moons like everybody who manages to do that and I know a fair few covens who do like I'm very impressed I don't I could not do coven on a Wednesday night I would be so tired from work 
So it's it's really tricky, but those set and setting things do help quite a bit when you can get them to align. Yeah, we we try to meet as close as possible, but also as practically as possible. And we'll get together and we'll set dates and we'll be like, right, well, the full moon is on a Thursday. But if we're practicing like the three day window, shall we just meet up on that Friday? Or sometimes we'll default it to the closest weekend. And I think for the lesser Sabbats, the equinoxes and the solstices, that can be a little bit more problematic because they are astrological events compared to the greater fire festivals, the other four. Um, I kind of lost my train of thought where I was going with that. Yeah, it's important, I think, that we try and practice as close as possible, but also we need to be considerate of what's practical. Some people might have small children and small families and, you know, they have bedtimes and routines. You know, family comes first is something that we always say in our covenant. That is that is no truer than when we have planned rituals, which is why we try and like set dates in advance and you know, if you miss the the actual day, air quotes, it's okay to celebrate it on the closest weekend. You know, it's fine. You're still practicing your wicker. You're still practicing your witchcraft. It also kind of harkens back to something G said in a really early episode where we talked about a lot of this does come back to class and money as well. People need to work. Um, not everybody's sort of in a position where they're privileged enough to be able to get time off work, for example. In Australia as well, we've got the factor of distance too. Um, all of us are travelling at least an hour for ritual, which means just like you, Peter, we need to really plan things ahead. Often at the start of the year, mm. we'll sit down and be like, okay, what are all the moon dates? Let's go. Yeah, and it allows people then to plan around as well. If you if, if you set dates three, four, five, six, seven months in advance, you know, yes, emergencies crop up and it's okay to say, sorry, guys, I got to duck out of this one kind of thing. But it allows people then to plan around. You know, I'm a big advocate of of setting dates and planning and, and making sure that we have enough time so that if people do need to duck out, there's still enough people in air quotes to carry on doing the ritual and working the magic. So a moment ago, G was talking about how um, sometimes changes in your routine can be disorienting. You know, uh, you're in a new space, or time of the day, etc. By planning, which I know we keep harping on, you can help mitigate some of this by being aware of why. So if I need to do ritual in a new room that I'm not used to, so whereas we have a dedicated space, if I can't use it and I needed to do it, say, in the living room, which many covens do, then I need to make that extra effort to make sure it doesn't look or feel like my living room i need it to feel like a temple a, a separate space so that i can bridge that gap and have it be less of an impact there's also the social side of things and how a coven approaches that um really kind of affects the way things are done different covens are run in different ways different coven leaders have different things that work for them i've just been reading um the judy harrow coven book on G's recommendation, actually, um, and I've got lots of early 2000s snippets <laughs> of, of witchcraft and covered stuff. There's some really good stuff in there too. Um, she talks about the different models of covens and what has worked for her, and it got me thinking about different uh, types of covens. So she sort of talks about coven as chosen family, which is kind of a model I'm more familiar with, but then there's coven as more of a study group, and then there's coven as just like a friendship group as well. 
I can see the benefits of all of them, really, but it depends. I think it would change the flavour of things. Yeah, I, I think it's important for any establishing group to really set in their mind what what kind of coven are we? Are we a coven that is a training coven where we take on new initiatives often and, and, and it kind of gets reset back to first degree? Or are we a coven where we are more a little bit social and, and, and we get together and we do rituals based on like how social we are? I think it's really important when you're establishing a coven for you to know where you want to go because it can be quite difficult down line when somebody perhaps is trying to change that direction of the coven or you know they bring new ideas are really good and I think one of the great things that that the Wicca do is that we innovate and we pull in practices that are not appropriated but could come from different traditions or different religions or different practice areas but I do think it's important that you set from the from the offset right we are we're, we're a training coven we're going to have people that are coming in for for training we're still going to be carrying on with our regular second and third degree work as well but we are this kind of coven and then any new members that join know from the outset this is what I'm joining this is what I'm coming into so there's no like there's no like power play neither as well and I think that's really important so Peter I think that whole idea of the the group understanding or the the group setting and mindset is excellent uh, segue into what we're here to talk about primarily today and that is egregores which you know in really short way of saying is the group mind yeah and it is it can be difficult to form that group mind if you have almost a revolving door where you might have new members really frequently or you have members that that leave whether you've got members that join and or leave within a short period of time that is going to affect the coven at large the coven mindset the egregore and getting a new initiate in into that groove into that flow of energy takes a lot of time and a lot of patience and a, and a lot of effort on everybody's part it is a phenomenal amount of effort when the new initiate is trying to learn everything because there's a lot after you're initiated there is a lot of studying there's a lot of learning there's a lot of physical doing and that can be overwhelming you've just got to kind of stick with it and and just go with it and that egregore always needs to kind of be not i suppose topped up is the wrong word but i sometimes look at it as a battery and sometimes that battery is really really full and then somebody comes in and you've got to kind of deplete that battery a little bit to try and get it back up to full and get that new initiate into the flow of everything and into the groove of how the coven works well, if you're going to have um if you're going to have a training coven, then you really need to think about an egregore that's the group's soul has to be flexible enough to deal with incorporating new folks and losing people, right? It has to be a very malleable sort of um a thing. If you end up with a if if you have a coven that's really dedicated to a very specific purpose and you get kind of like locked in, it can be much harder to have people come in and out, but not neither of those is a bad thing. It really has to do with like, what is the primary goal of your coven? What are you trying to do? Do you want new members? Do you not want new members? And I do think that that, um, that, that, you know, kind of depends on coven leadership in a lot of ways to sort of maintain the tone, um, I've occasionally seen covens where leadership wanted new people for whatever reason, right? Like 
well, we're moving a lot of folks along or, oh, we are getting kind of stuck in our ways. Like I think, you know, opening up the coven to new people might be good, whatever. And the rest of the coven is really not open to that at all because things have gotten kind of like locked in. So maintaining like a more flexible mindset, I think can be um, important if what you're looking to do is having come in and out, right? So I think the egregore can reflect purpose in that way. I think it's worth pointing out too, it's good that you mentioned this because like coven leaders are well within their rights to not want new members. Like it's not a requisite that you're always taking on new members as a coven leader. And I think that's often a misconception by seekers who come along. My other question, um, to what degree is Egregore the responsibility of the coven leader, would you say? You talk a lot about the coven leaders topping it up. If it's made up by everybody, how much of it is the coven leader's responsibility and how much do they control? I think that that really depends on how much of it the coven leader wants to control. But I think setting it up is um, in Alexandrian witchcrafts because we practice a hierarchical tradition. I do think that establishing a healthy egregore and maintaining a healthy egregore is the responsibility of coven leadership. I think different coven leaders are going to be more or less willing to allow the alteration or or modification or growth of that egregore based on who's coming in and out of the coven. But I think the initial establishment of what that's going to feel like and the purpose and the tenor of your sort of mind your collective goals are the responsibility of the coven leader to establish and hold i'd agree with that so i think the the high priesthood uh, in that regards is i don't know so much if the word is responsible but we set the tone of how the egregore develops um, because it will shift and change and flow over time which goes back to the not always taking new members or member, new members will change things. And so that is part of why you're so discerning when we're looking at seekers and seeker membership. It's not just a matter of whether or not we like this person. Do they fit well with the group? How, how will the group dynamic change? These are questions that we have to ask because it's not just about this individual. As leaders, we look at the overall group that is more our responsibility as opposed to just practicing my craft because you know at, at this point i've learned how to do my craft you know i'm always learning more but now it's helping others learn and develop their craft and so it becomes a larger responsibility of the group and that is more than just the individual so we set the tone regardless of whether or not we intend to or not but i think as alexandrians we're aware of this, have been taught it, teach it, and so with a mind towards it, we can do so with intention. Yeah, I think from the offset, it is the responsibility of the people who are leading the coven to set up that coven egregore, but wicker is is not a spectator sport. Everybody has a part to play in that circle and in that coven, and if you're in a coven, but you're not at, at a ritual, you still have a part to play as well. Everybody in that coven has a part to play to build towards that coven mindset, that coven egregore. And sometimes it can be more intense when there are fewer members of a coven. Like if you have three people in a coven and somebody joins in, everybody's got like a 25% like input 
But if you've got like 13 members and somebody comes in, I don't necessarily think that the change that that one extra person is going to make is going to be as big if you were fewer people as well. So I think it is the responsibility of every Coven member to top up that battery of that of that Coven aggregate all the time. But the responsibility of where that Coven aggregate goes definitely lies with with the Coven leadership. And you know we've we've got first degrees that write rituals and lead rituals. We've obviously got seconds and thirds that lead rituals and and write rituals. But it's all about making sure that those first degrees as well get a chance to lead and have a chance to be responsible because I think a lot of us are of the mindset that when you get into Wicca you will develop through your degrees and with that comes natural leadership as well and and you're taught leadership and how to run effective ritual whether you're the first degree or secondary or, or third degree you know but I think it's everybody's responsibility not just the coven leaders to to, to push that egregore and to feed into that egregore. Yes a hundred percent um, I know a lot of our, our language around Egregor has been uh, centric around the mental or the mind and it being a group mind. And, and I do believe that is true. Um, but you're talking about feeding. And earlier you mentioned the battery. Um, it works well in an energy model as well. You know, it is something that as you put effort into, it becomes more active and dynamic. Um, another energetic thing it can do is momentum. As, as you work and build it, momentum rolls behind what you're doing. And so there's less need to continuously press because it will self-tend more than an unintentionally uh, cultivated energy. Yeah, it's that well-trodden path, isn't it? It's, it's you know, energy flows well in, in deep grooves. And this uh, this isn't just individual covens. We're talking about the wicker here, and we're not just talking about necessarily a single coven egregore. You know, there are many different types of egregore. There can be an egregore of a place, an egregore of a person, an egregore of a coven, of the wider wicker as well. And we're not just feeding into one egregore when we talk about egregores. How many times can I say the word egregore in one sentence, guys? That was a lot. I think it's important for us to remember that we're not just feeding into to one battery, into one group mindset, because as as members of the Wicca, witches of the Wicca, people of the Wicca, we've all gone through very similar initiation experiences, and that builds its own egregore as well. I I, act, I really am interested in talking about these different types of egregore, but I do want to go back for a second because... Um... Your battery analogy is one I haven't really considered before. And I would tend to see the egregore as something sort of separate from, I think I'm something separate from like an energy center of the coven. Like, I think I don't tend to think of it in the same, I know we use energy to describe an awful lot of things in, in Wicca and witchcraft, right? It is our go-to term to try and like, explain right like oh how is the energy of that circle for you or how is the energy of your you know you're working or we reach for energy because we're talking about non-concrete things and we don't have but I don't but egregore is one of those words I actually usually don't associate energy with um I think of it more in like a a group 
soul or like group mind. And I do think there's such a thing as like the energy of the group. But I think I tend to separate that out from like the egregore of the coven. So I'm curious if I'm reading your battery analogy right or if you're just sort of using. So like, are you thinking of like the energy of a group to you is very similar, heavily related to the egregore of the group? Yeah, I I think I think when I think about it, I almost use the word egregore, coven mindset, um, coven like battery all interchangeably, which I know maybe can muddy the waters. But when I think of a coven egregore, it is about that that coven spirit. And I know I've thrown another term in there as well. And that muddies the water even further. But for me it is it's about I suppose that like the shared practice of what we do as a coven and of the wicker, that is an egregore of itself. That is a mindset of itself. And I know we've spoken a lot in the podcast about you can have your own personal practice, which might be completely different to what you do in Coven. But when you step into Coven Circle, there is, as I know James has mentioned a myriad of times, there is an agreed upon way of how we are doing this. So we are feeding into that same thing over and over and over and over again, which links back to what James said earlier. It makes it easier to then tap into that energy, that mindset, that egregore, because you know exactly what's going on. Like if we look back to triggers, when we get the brasso out, when we shine the pentacle, when we light the incense and the candles, we do it in a certain way and it, and it almost becomes automatic. When you're first studying as a first degree, you've you've got to think step by step, right? We do this, we do this, we do this, we do this. But once you've done it, I suppose it's like driving a car. It's like muscle memory. You will You just automatically do it. You know, you know that you automatically need to start breaking when you get to a roundabout or a crossroad kind of thing. And your your leg just kind of kicks in. So I've had it explained in both those terms um, as energy, the mind um, and other things. And I'm sure we'll get to that. But it's it's almost like the other pillar. If if the, the mindset is very concrete and um, about thinking this is more, the energy is more about what is the feeling or the the underlying, um, less concrete, more fluid aspect of the egregore. So it's all t- tied together. It's just a different part of the spectrum. Now that's, that's the way it was kind of explained to me. I don't know if that makes sense to you. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, and maybe this is a good part to bring it in, talking about the different tiers or the different kinds of egregore, right? That I do feel like there's a Wiccan as in tra- egregore um, that's shared amongst amongst the different traditions within. I also feel like there's a distinct Alexandrian egregore to the Gardnerian egregore. I also think that there's, a, for some lines, a dis- and I think this is probably more of a U.S. thing, but because we have so many lines that are kind of distinct, but... Um, a more a, a sort of distinct egregore for some of the different lines in the U.S. that's based around the way that we've shifted our practices or that we think about our practice. Um, and then, of course, each coven has its own has its own sort of spirit, and some of that is shared, um, and some of that is mentality. But yeah, I mean, I definitely see where they are branches of the same tree that make something up. But um, for me, the the sort of like pathways of energy that you've talked about, of course, I still I use those same analogies with my with my 
um, first degrees, right? That like, why do we all do things the same way? We do things the same way because that is the well-trodden path. If you have a well-trodden path, the energy moves through that much more smoothly. Um, and to me, that's a little bit different than why Alexandrians have the attitudes that Alexandrians have versus say Gardnerians, right? The kind of um, our inheritance from Alex is this like, not rebellious, but just like a little flamboyance, a little bit of of outlandishness, right? And theoretically for Alexandrians, um, which I think is distinct from the way that sometimes people describe dual lineage people or people who've been in both kinds of circles describe, oh, this is what the Gardnerian circle energy feels like. And this is what the Alexandrian circle energy feels like. Like I would put those things, I think, more in the category of egregores than I would in the channels that energy travels. Is this making any sense? No, no, yeah. that's making sense. Um, okay. I mean, yeah, I, I obviously, I think that these things are all connected in some place, but when I'm thinking about them, they feel very different. Yeah, I think I'm more inclined to agree with you, G. Um, I think I do parse out the kind of battery feeling to the egregore feel um, when I think about it, but all of the liturgy, like you were saying, Peter, the liturgy and the way that we learn the things to do the things in a certain way, that's what makes the group. So I can see where you're both. So I've also heard a third way of talking about and thinking about egregores, um, and that's discussing it as if it's a spirit. Um, granted, it's not necessarily uh, one that existed before, but it is one. It's one that you, through the group, have empowered. It is a form of its own uh, organized consciousness, if you will. Um, I've even seen rituals where you invoke it into certain places and spots as a medieval magician might do with an angel or a demon. Um, I've, I've run across this idea. Um, have y'all seen similar? I have. I um, We, uh, low these many years ago, we were doing a series of rituals. And so we had invited some kin from other covens to join us for them. And... One of our kin remarked that she really enjoyed the ritual, but she felt like the like the egregore was very much um, like looking at her askance. Like she definitely felt like it was like a guardian coven spirit that was kind of like, "Ooh, why are you in this space? Because those particular series of rituals started at our astral temple and not every coven utilizes the astral temple or has an astral temple, but we do, a number of us, and in in my family, and so, um, and lots of people, I think, do. And so the astral temple is kind of very coven-centric, as opposed to having somebody just, like, guest at a Sabbath. So she had the feeling coming to the astral temple with us that our coven egregore was like a guardian spirit, kind of be like, ooh, who are you? Why are you here? Um, Something isn't fitting, right? And so, oh, what's an astral temple, for those who don't know? Um an astral temple is basically what it sounds like it's a place on the astral plane that a coven or individual may establish for themselves to use and you know we say often that um there is no time on the astral right or like there is no real place on the astral um so you can be on the astral and go from, say, like ocean to field in a moment's notice. You could have it be full moon on the astral, even if you are in new moon yourself, which does offer like um, a great deal of flexibility. But the yeah, so so the astral temple is sort of a it's an astral focal point for the group 
energy, I think for the group egregore, for me, these ideas are really intricately linked. Um, and it's a place where often like all members of the coven. So during COVID, a lot of covens were using their astral temple as a meeting space for ritual, right? That people could all meet up in the astral at the temple and do ritual together, even though everybody was quite dispersed. Um, I'm not sure if that, if I'm explaining that well, um, but yeah. And I think Josie had, no. oh, you wrote the mind palace. So I oh, think. I was just being a smart ass in the chat. Just ignore that. But your smart assness had a good foundation in interesting occult isms. I've, um, I know that there are covens out there that when they've raised the energy and they've raised the power, if it's not being directed to something specific, like a person or, or working, then they will direct that energy towards the astral temple. And I suppose, I suppose it kind of brings up where, where does this egregore live? Where does this astral temple live? And yes, obviously it's on the astral plane, but I suppose like a, a deeper question is if, if we're working in these astral temples and we're adding the energy or we're directing the energy to that astral temple, what happens when it's there? And does it mean that if you're working as a witch alone, that you can access that coven astral temple and, and therefore that whole battery store of energy for whatever, for whatever working? For me, I don't know about whatever working because generally the work... I do in a group is very different to the work I do on my own and they don't tend to overlap too much but I'd be curious to hear what you've got to say. Most of my practice personally happens within a within a coven setting and when I'm working on my own I don't think that I access the the coven temple or the astral temple as a matter of course. I just kind of step in the circle and do the magic, do the witchcraft but it's 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 an interesting discussion to have because I suppose if I then relink it to that like that that battery analogy, if I access the Coven Temple, uh, the Astral Temple, sorry, and I use the energy that's there, and somebody else then accesses it and is like, oh, this room feels empty. Where's where's all the energy gone? I'm like, oh, sorry, that was me, kind of thing. It's um, yeah, I think my thoughts on this are not as formed as they probably should be as like a cover leader um but yeah maybe i'll have to get back to you on that one i was just reminded of like is it like how my friends and i had a minecraft server many years ago and like it was on all the time and you could just like go in whenever and do stuff and it was just for building stuff mostly there were no monsters or anything we mostly just build stupid things and I spent ages building this house made of trees because whatever which and when I came back because someone texted me and said hey come and look at the server I've got something cool to show you and they had burned down like it was all on fire <gasps> my tree house oh, no. and they they took I think I had like a sheep or something and they stole all my sheep it was a thing is that the kind of thing that you're describing here? Is this, is it like yeah, a Minecraft yeah, I, server? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, possibly that's a good analogy. And mm -hmm. there are, there are, when you build an astral temple, you build in um, fail safes, is that the word? Safe fails, something like, like keys, basically. So not just, not just any ditch on David can access your Cummins astral temple because you need a certain key to get in, whether it's, a symbol that you see above the temple door or it's, or it's an uttering or a phrase or a specific feeling. But yeah, I suppose it's ki kind of similar to the Minecraft server. And if that <laughs> happened to me, I would have been like, oh my God, 
What have you done? I spent oh, hours on this. My friends are the worst. My friends are the oh, absolute no. worst. <laughs> um, but I think that's a good point, though, about fail safes, and possibly that's one of many ways why it's a good idea to teach or, or or train a very certain way to to make it to the astral temple, and also just again we're talk- we're thinking about those grooves, right? We're making those grooves deeper, and the more you do it, the better you get. Yeah, this is interesting. I've our temple has individual spaces put in. That is their space. As a coven member, you get access. So um, that's really interesting. I've never th- thought about it as like a as a place where you store energy um, before. Um, so that's quite an interesting idea. But I like it. I would agree. I think as only because of my role as coven leader would I think who's the astral temple in my own personal workings. And that would only be because I would only use the astral temple in my own um, on my not personal workings but like on my own alone if i was intentionally building up that astral temple and like further if that makes sense like i would not um and i feel like that takes some like time and experience to know sort of like what kind of a uh an egregore what kind of a feeling you're trying to build to to sort of feed into that so i think i diverge here just a little bit um i've done astral temple work i've done it with more than one coven and i think the astro temple and the egregore may have interplay but i don't think one is necessarily dependent upon the other from a magical perspective and how we operate um and although i do give some play to the idea of energy being related to uh, the egregore as long as the group exists I don't know that you can deplete the egregore. Um, maybe if the group is less active, it becomes has less momentum behind it. But the group is there, so is the group mine. Can't have one without the other. Um, how you interact with that is is interesting because yes, we 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 have the psychological interaction with it and being aware of it and the, the feeling of the group. There's the energetic aspect, um, whether or not the egregore takes an active role, um, going back to the uh, guest G you were talking about who's seeing it as kind of like a coven guardian where it had its own spirit-like actions. I don't know. Maybe. Ask that out loud. Just doing some late night musing in the chat. So piggybacking off of that, James, if you need minds to make a group mind, then how important is it? And, and how much do you think a line or tradition affects the egregore if that line or tradition is coming from people who are all dead? So that's part of where you get your your lineage. You know, yeah, there's the, the energetic aspect. So there's a whole lot of that, and we'll talk about that. Um, not in this forum, but part of it has to do with uh, carrying the influence of those who came before you. So although, you know, great, 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 great granddaddy Alex has moved on, he, not necessarily him, but but those feelings, those energies, that mindset in which he helped to frame, albeit not alone, into place, continues to be the basic structure around which the traditions, symbols, and ritual, and etc., keep the grooves in place of so that it's maintained from group to group to group to group so even if you're the only group left you still maintain 
that egregore in some fashion, albeit your particular coven's shape of it, if that makes sense. So I just want to jump in because I honestly interpreted your question differently, Josie. I thought you meant if your line is dead, which like what if the line that you came from is kind of defunct at this point, right? And if you... Because that does happen, right, in some very small lineages. If there's just like a couple covens that it's like there was one coven and then a coven hived off them and maybe a coven hived off them and then the other covens ahead just sort of stopped meeting. Um, there's not a lot of kin, right? There's not a lot of groups um, within that line practicing anymore. Or maybe there aren't any save one. That's sort of what I was interpreting your question is I hope we never get I mean, I guess, I don't know, religion evolves. We may never or we may get to a point where like Gardnerian and Alexandrian don't exist anymore. And there's just traditions off those traditions. I have I have no idea. Oh, yeah, gasp. Um, I hope that doesn't happen, honestly. But I do think that that is where new that that's where new lines form anyway. And I think it's a totally different and interesting conversation would be when do people determine that you have a new line? And I think that that would be a really weird conversation because I think that lines are more specifically a U.S. phenomenon than they are in other countries. Although I know um, there's like a little bit of it in the U.K., but really people don't talk about it at all um, outside the U.S. I think it's a really interesting conversation that was like, when does that egregore split, right? When does that, when have things changed enough that you've become your own sort of line or when has your coven shifted enough that you no longer feel... Um, like you're part of your mother coven fully high. When does that experience sort of take place? Um, it's a really interesting. I feel like it would come up a, a lot, maybe in the US, especially where people are moving around a lot. People move to the other side of the country. At a guess, not coming from the US, I would say it would feel a lot different practicing witchcraft on the opposite side of the country around a bunch of covens that you are not immediately related to. I think as Alexandrian witches and Alexandrian practitioners, we're in a unique position compared to just, just air quotes, Gardnerian uh, tradition practitioners. Because at one point, they, I think there was just one egregore of the Wicca, and that would have been the Gardnerian tradition. And then when Alex came, and he was initiated, and then he kind of made, not made his own tradition, but continued that tradition and, and added parts that made us Alexandrian. So I think at, at at one point when Gardner was establishing everything, there possibly would have been just one one way, air quotes. And then with us, it, it kind of moved somewhere else, which isn't necessary. You know, I, I suppose that it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It is just what it is. And yeah, I think that's where my thought, thought ends, actually, guys. <laughs> I find the whole idea of thinking about lines uh, interesting because although... I am part of a line, and there are line-specific, I'll call them markers, um, that are passed down uh, to us as additions. The Coven is paramount. It's first is the the vehicle through which we experience the practice of our craft. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I get it, but Coven first. Coven first, and I guess you're either doing Wicca or you're not. Yeah, I, I mean, I obviously I would agree with that. I just think... Um, the flavors are quite different. And I think the ultimately, to go back to our pizza analogy from a thousand years ago, right? Like ultimately, we're all making pizza. But and that's probably like what the really important thing is here if we're having a pizza party. 
but the the toppings on that pizza the flavor of that pizza the shape of the pizza even well the shape has to be circular i guess because we are wicked but um you know is 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 a smidge different and so this is going to make no sense to you outside the u.s but like a chicago pizza is very different from a new york style pizza is um and i find that really interesting because we are still all of the wicca we are still all making but i find those like for for want of a not a better word but for want of a different word those cultural distinctions are really interesting to me right that's why we started this podcast and i think it would not be as interesting a podcast to try and compare different lines. Oh, it might be, I guess, depending on which lines. But, but those regional differences and those those lineage differences, I find kind of interesting because I love this idea of there's like this just this unifying factor that I do think is in fact the larger egregore of the tradition that unifies everything we do, um, in spite of the fact that some of us are using pineapple on our pizza and some of us are using pepperoni on our pizza and some of us like green peppers um you know the we are all unified under the umbrella of like really we just want sort of like cheese and sauce on bread except for the styles of pizza that have cheese and are called tomato pie However, i don't i don't like that i live in a place now where that is a thing and it is deeply upsetting to me i feel so strongly about the fact that people just put fucking tomatoes on bread and they're like it's that's a focaccia it's if it was a focaccia it would be more delicious it's not a focaccia there's not it's, enough olive oil it's just dough with it's, tomatoes yeah you know, seasoned tomato paste just smeared around i get exactly what you're saying we all are making delicious delicious pizza because it's all good except for the one kind not so much um I, I but i think that's, that's i think that's sorry. what finds it so interesting with with what we're doing is yes we have lots of differences and coven to coven to coven, even in the same line, varies so much. But by just having the conversation about it and looking at it, we can see where they overlap in that common thread. And I think that's where the tradition or line egregore rest. When the four of us met, there was some kind of global thing going on. I don't know. We were all online a lot more. I don't seem to remember. I don't want to go into it. But we all started talking and it was pretty apparent very early on that we could all, <laughs> we we had a bite and we had a smell and we're like, this is pizza. We're all making pizza. It was very, very apparent early on. And that's got to account for something. Yeah, we are all of the wicker, no matter what flavour pizza that we all enjoy. We're all still eating pizza and we're all still, we're all still practising wicker. And again, it's, it's, that, it's that commonality, isn't it? There's, you know, we quite often say add, but don't take away in Wicca, which is supposed to give us that that unifying um, thread, that unifying line. It doesn't matter what tradition you come from or what line you're specifically in or what coven in that line you're specifically in. We have all gone through the mysteries of the circle at, at whatever point of degree you're at. And that is what unifies us as of the wicker and that we can trace our lineage all of us of the wicker can trace our lineage back to one me really one person who was a part of a larger group of people obviously but we can all trace it back to that to that same common point since egregores are pizza which we've clearly established as fact and not to be debated 
Um, it's not the mind. It's not energy or spirits. It's pizza. Um, is there more than one? Do we have more than just one pizza? There are so many pizzas to choose from. You've got meat feast. You've got Hawaiian. You have so many different types of pizza, and they all taste amazing. All right, so more than one agrigor. Go. I mean, the agrigor yes. I have with my coven is very, very different to the agrigor that I experience at like a larger event. is very different to the agrigor I experience talking to you guys and people in the wider tradition. None of them are bad, they're just different. I suppose maybe another word for egregore that, that we could use is feeling. Like, I have a different feeling when I practice on my own to what I have when I practice with my coven, to what I have when I attend Wiccan events. It's a different feeling. It is all Wicca. We're all practicing Wicca. We're all eating pizza. We're all practicing Wicca. It just has a different feeling. And I've, I've circled with other Alexandrians and Gardnerians from different lines and traditions, and it still all works. It still all tastes really good. So I suppose then, if we're talking about that there are different kinds of egregores, not, not kinds, sorry, but there are more than one egregore, do we feel that when we practice on our own or in a coven setting that we add to all the other different egregores as well because we are all of the Wicca? I wonder whether when I practice on my own, that I am contributing to that to that wider web. And I, I think that I am when I practice on my own or in a coven or at larger Wiccan events, that I am adding to that, that, that wider Wiccan coven, that wider group mind, that wider feeling. There was supposed to be a question mark at the end, but I know it, it sounded like a, like a full stop. <laughs> I, I have distinct ideas about that, and they all relate to things involving initiation. So, anyway, we can't talk about that. And hush, hush, Put hush. Put it in the hush, chat. Hush, hush, Put hush. it in the chat. We'll just sit here in polite Wiccan silence for a few moments so that everyone gets the idea. So I, I actually have something. Oh, I'm sorry, Josie. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say I was thinking over that as you were saying that, Peter, and I was like, I don't feel like I do unless – I don't feel like I do contribute unless I'm working with my working partner or a group. That's interesting. And then I'm like, why do I feel that way? And it's because the work I'm doing on my own isn't, I guess, explicitly Wiccan per se. I think I feel very strongly, and I'm not sure why, but I do feel very strongly that Wicca is group practice. And I would have... Of course, I think most of us have practiced ritual on our own or, you know, maybe communicated with the gods of the Wicca on our own in, in one way or another. But by and large, I think coven work absolutely contributes to the wider or working with your group partner wider. But um, one of the things that I try to explain to people about initiation is if you want to get initiated and then just be by yourself, there's no real point to being initiated. Like Wicca takes place within the coven setting. It is a tradition, in my mind and opinion, specifically designed for group and coven. Um, so yeah, I, I, yes, so I definitely don't feel like I'm individually, but I'm, but I'm also not trying to individually, honestly. So the, the practice of the Wicca is a group practice, and if you just initiate people who don't participate in the group practice, you're making orphans that never knew their family and only have that that one little connection. Um, and not the the wider traditions passed down in said family. Yeah, I think if you when you get into Wicca and you're initiated, 
and you're practicing in that coven setting and then something happens which forces you to maybe move away from your coven maybe move away from your line or your tradition then i i think that you can definitely i think you can practice certain elements of wicca on your own but i don't think you should be getting into wicca to be a lone practitioner i really like that that analogy of of what you just said james about you're creating orphans who are never really going to know their parents or their uplines wicca i've said it once already today is a is not a spectator sport everybody has a role to play and you get into it because you want to work with a coven and you might get into it and then and then find out actually this isn't for me and that's fine that's an informed decision but you shouldn't be coming at it from the point of view of right i'm gonna get initiated i'm gonna get a book of shadows and then I'm going to bail and I'm going to practice the way I want to practice. I wouldn't necessarily say that that is a part of the heart of the Wicca, because for me, Wicca is all about coven practice. Wicca lies within coven. How then do we make egregore? When a mommy and a daddy egregore love each other, when a priest and a priest initiate <laughs> their first baby initiate, then. No, I think I think egregores make themselves. I think, they, I think a group soul, a group mind, a group conscious, a group consciousness forms inevitably um especially with the kind of work that we do in ritual i think you'd be hard pressed to stop it from happening so the knitting circle has an egregore and technically they're yes. a coven doing witchcraft absolutely yeah 100 percent. that's true absolutely that's true sounds that's- legit i think that a coven egregore would inevitably establish itself over a period of time but i do think if you're starting a new coven for example then you do need that that initial effort from the leaders of the coven and and the rest of the of the membership of the coven to build that egregore like i don't disagree that it would naturally occur because it's going to because of like you just said gee the type of work that you're doing but i think when you are starting when you hive off and hiving is a process where a second degree and or a third degree will decide that they want to form their own coven. When you hive off, I think you do need that directed work in order to form that new coven egregore. And linking back to what James has just asked, how do we build an egregore? My answer to that is through a lot of hard work. Yes, I think it comes naturally, but I think you also need to work hard at it and you need to build those grooves. You need to you don't build a groove, you carve a groove. That's right, isn't it? You you carve those grooves and that energy flows better through it. I think linking back to our previous episode as well, where we talked about the equinoxes, the equini, I'm going to coin that, the equini, and we discussed meditation. A lot of this will happen through that focused practice of, med- of meditation. When you get into that astral temple, for example, you are like you're I think one of your primary vehicles is through meditation and through visualization visualization. And I think unless everybody is using the same pattern of getting there and using the same pattern of build up, you know, if you've got five people pulling one way and two people pulling the other, then there's going to be that resistance. And you all need to be working towards the same building of a coven egregore for it to be most effective. So one way of building that coven egregore is having those same practices and through that focused meditation as well. It's also about having that really clear idea you want for the if you're a coven leader who is hiving off or who is starting a coven and and working out the steps that you need to take to get to that and trying to guide things in that direction. Yeah, and 
I don't necessarily think that a, a, a brand spanking new first degree is going to know how to do that, which is why I say I think that responsibility does lie with the more established members. And, and I specifically said a new first degree. There are first degrees out there that probably know more than third degrees, you know, and that is not to say that they don't have anything to contribute. I think everybody has to contribute towards that egregore and towards that group feeling, that group mindset. But with specifically first degrees, they they need they need to be taught the techniques. They need to be taught the tricks of of how we do that. I think it's also a, a, a difficult topic, isn't it? Of how do we build one? We can't necessarily give out specifics because I think a lot of that could be deemed as as oathbound as well. So I think we're all kind of skirting around this wider topic of how do we build one? Well, actually, we can't tell you. So go out and get initiated and find out for yourselves, listeners. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't. I'm not really avoiding conversation for that reason. I don't think it's giving away too much to say we go through shared ritual experiences and that's like a big piece of how the egregore starts to get built, right? If you're talking about a group mind, then you need group experience and that's a large part of what Wicca is. Um, But I do think you can't explain it. I mean, if I do think like James said, like, oh, a knitting circle builds an egregore. Yeah. I think if you have a group of people who start doing witchcraft together in an organized way. And I think if nobody's like a total shithead and it has decent leadership um, or at least like manages to maintain a harmonious atmosphere, then I do think an egregore will sort of start, like will manifest itself um, for that group. I think frankly, if you don't have a harmonious atmosphere, a tainted egregore will manifest itself um, given time. So I'm not sure that a how-to is wholly necessary. I think Yes, you can push it. I think you can make it happen faster through various methodologies and techniques. But I think largely egregores are, um, right? I think it's something that you invite into your life if you agree to work with other people. A group soul, a group mind is going to develop. I think probably there are friend groups that have egregores without people realizing it, right? When you get together with this specific group of friends, certain attitudes, certain ways of being, certain ways of speaking start to sort of take over without you conscientiously reason realizing. Um, but as witches, as people who work with energy, as people who work with spirits um, and spirit, I think that we do have sort of intention and purpose in how we derive and manifest that egg. I wonder whether we have any thoughts or feelings about the wider Wicca movement, Wicca 2Cs. We always talk about initiatory Wicca, like Wicca 1C, whether or not those people who are practicing like public public sphere Wicca, whether they also have a part to play in the more wider general Wiccan um Wiccan egregore. Because whenever we talk, we always talk about BTW initiatory Wicca, 1C. And we might have listeners out there who aren't initiates at the moment and don't have any real interest in becoming initiates or initiated into BTW, but also feel that they are practicing Wicca. Um, I I think that maybe there are two separate egregores there, the, the BTW egregore and then the more public Wiccan-flavoured witchcraft egregore as well. But I wonder whether... There's some sort of Venn diagram where we have that that middle bit, that that commonality. I think the less specific a group becomes, the less specific the egregore associated with that larger circle of people becomes. And at some point, you just get to the point of humanity. Um, so 
yes, there is some of that there, but it becomes much less connected when you're comparing someone who is a Hellenic Reconstructionist to someone who practices Druidry to someone who is a complete solitaire, doesn't actually practice anything, sits in the armchair reading about how to make pizza, but never actually makes it. Um, all valid forms of individual spirituality, but you've become less distinct, and so it is much harder to pin down what the egregore or group mind is at that point. I think in terms of solitaries and eclectic Wicca and witchcraft is overwhelmingly more solitary practitioners than it is covens there are covens but there are many more solitary practitioners i'm not sure in my opinion that a, the the egregore of a solitary practitioner sort of compares to that of any kind of group working i think a pagan community can certainly have an egregore i've done pagan community work um for the last decade um in in a few different forms and like i've traveled to other states and visited their community rituals with a whole bunch bunch of different um pagan traditions kind of attending and even so like a ritual run here by a big eclectic group is going to feel very different to a ritual run in western australia or in queensland or in anywhere around australia I think a, a community group can certainly have an egregore. I'm not sure about solitaries. Yeah, and I'm inclined to agree. I was speaking from the perspective of thinking about community and less about the individual. But thank you for explicitly pointing that out. I think eclectic Wicca, within non-traditional Wicca, there are people who are forming their own sort of traditions that's carving out their own landscapes, right, within eclectic forms of Wicca and I think creating their own sort of traditional egregores that are completely carved out from the wider eclectic Wiccan movement because they're, they're creating a lot of structure. Um, I also think that the wider eclectic egregore, like the wider eclectic Wiccan egregore, if there is one, um, would have to be quite chaotic. Like I think that you need people moving in the same direction to have an egregore and there, you know, this, there's a mentality and I'm not, judging it or saying it's right or wrong but there is a mentality of like wicca is whatever you want it to be right eclecta wicca is whatever you want it to be nobody can tell you how to believe it nobody can tell you how to practice it nobody can tell you what it is you can do whatever you want um you're gonna not gonna build a group soul if not except unless that group soul is just like chaos because you don't have everybody sort of like moving in the same direction towards a specific goal mindset idea so that brings us to the end of this episode uh, today we've talked about why set and setting is important. We've talked about the coven mind and egregore, astral temples, what they are, what they're used for, and whether or not there's any overlap in egregore between BTW practitioners and the wider Wiccan-flavored witchcraft movement. Um, before we let you go, there's a lot on this topic. And if you've not sat with... Uh, the idea of egregore before and what group minds you are a part of, what energies you're feeding into that, and how said egregore interacts with you. Uh, now might be a good time to sit down and write that out, take a look at it, and do so intentionally. So as a reminder, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook as Circle Talk for Witches, as four as in the number. Twitter as Circle Four Witches or email us at 
circletalkforwitches at gmail.com. If you have any questions, queries, thoughts, or ideas for future discussions, please do get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. From all of us at Circle Talk, Merry Meet, Merry Part, and Merry Meet again.